Gold. <laughs> Welcome to another show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from uh, this little tiny country in Europe, the Netherlands, but uh, reaching out to all of you wherever you are. And today we've got a nice show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. And the fact that I am able to do this show and all my other work is thanks to my supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Father Roderick is the place where a community of fans help me to continue my mission and to also broaden it. Plus, they form a community. It's a literal community. You get access to a Discord server where we meet, where we exchange ideas and recipes and talk about, you know, TV episodes and complain about Star Trek. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great place to hang out. And, uh, and I always record a, an extra show for my um, patrons as a thank you, which is called Father Roderick to the Max. More about that show later on in this episode. But uh, you can always take a look at... Um, uh, patreon.com slash Father Roderick. And thank you if you are supporting me in whatever form. I always appreciate the fact that I'm not doing this just by myself. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I didn't know you could actually sleep at Ikea's. <laughs> Since I've been renovating this house, I've been to Ikea multiple times, even though it is still very restricted what we can do with the pandemic and all the precautions right now. So you have to keep your distance. And it, for a long time, Ikea was closed and you could only uh, order online and then you had to pick it up there. And then once they opened, it was still very restricted and... Um, and only a certain amount of people could uh, could enter the store. But now that I've finally moved into the new rectory, uh, I've been going quite a few times to the nearest IKEA. Actually, there are two IKEAs: the one that I used to go to in Amersfoort, and then a tiny little bit closer, but not doesn't really not much of a difference uh, near Arnhem. Uh, there's another IKEA, uh, and I, I just go there to get the to get anything that is currently lacking uh, when I when I packed my stuff to, for the move I also threw away a lot of stuff that was just too old um, for instance my plates most of the plates that I had were broken uh, or just chipped and whatnot but you know it's just something you don't read I live alone so I, I, I did, don't have that many guests normally over for dinner so you just keep using it but since I moved, I was like, okay, let's throw it away. It's, it's you know, these things are 15 years old. Um, so I go to Ikea for that. Also for the for the lights, you know, I got a lot of uh, rooms here to light properly. Even this studio where I'm recording this needed, uh, like, spotlights in the ceiling. And, and I like everything to be automated. So I can uh, give commands to, um, to my hub, to my Google Home, um, and, and it makes it very easy to quickly switch from one uh, lighting setup to another. So, for, for instance, here in the studio right now, everything is in podcast mode. But then I have, because all these IKEA lights are also pro programmable, or how you say that, remotely, um, <clears throat> you, you can, you can uh, give them remote commands. I can always also program like a mass mode, because just on Saturday... I built a new set here in, in this studio where I'm currently sitting. Uh, this is kind of the largest room on the first floor, uh, on the upper floor of the house. I, I created a small altar um, because 
Ideally, of course, I'd like to resume uh, streaming mass in, in, in the church here next door. But I'm so new here. I don't know the people here yet. They don't know about my plans. We still have to kind of talk and see if that is possible. And even if it is, if they allow me to do that in the future, I still need to find the volunteers and the people that help me. Technically, it's a, it's a very different ballgame. Streaming from a real church with, with people present uh, instead of just doing this home set. So I built this here. But then I can program the lights, all the lights in this room, um, to you know, to change to a totally different mood and color once I turn the camera around and I stream mass. So, but anyway, uh, lots of visits to IKEA, but I never thought you could sleep at IKEA's, and that is exactly what happened in Denmark the other day when lots of customers were at IKEA's, and usually these stores are open until, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the evening, <clears throat> and it's, it's usually quite busy in the evenings because people go to IKEA's not just for shopping, but also to eat. They've got a very good restaurant. It's super cheap. It's one of the ways in which they, of course, lure people in because they're, I think they're actually operating their restaurant at a loss. That's how cheap they make it, but it gives, it's all marketing, you know, gives you the idea like, oh my gosh, it's such a bargain. And so it, it puts you in a state of mind where you easily uh, buy stuff while you're there to eat. And since IKEA in their store has a monopoly on everything they sell, there are no other brands. You can't, it's hard to compare. You know, I, for instance, I got to go to IKEA's uh, one of these days and get myself a new couch. So down the stairs, I do have uh, two like, bigger chairs but since i've got a big living room i'd like to be able to receive uh, uh, groups of people in the future for instance i don't know if i join the 501st and we have star wars uh, uh you know armor building sessions or what I'd, I'd like to have place for you know eight people so they can we can chat we can uh, eat together the room is big enough but i don't have a couch and I don't want to put, like, individual chairs. It's going to be very messy. So I go to, I to Ikea's just to compare couches and basically just testing them out. That's one of the advantages. You can just sit there and see how it feels. And it's funny that so I'm, I'm a bit of a hobbit. I'm not very tall. Uh, a lot of the couches that they sell at Ikea's are made for modern-day Dutch people. And they're tall. They're so tall. Even Father Henry is like... I don't know, like 30 centimeters taller than I am. Um, and so are m most of the people that live here. And I noticed that because I was trying out these couches. And in the catalog, they looked beautiful. And even in the, they have these mock-up living rooms upstairs. Um, and they look fantastic. And then you, I sit in them and my legs are too short. So I'm like, ah, I need at least three pillows in my back to be able to sit in this couch. Um, and, and then I finally found a couch that was really nice to sit in, but then you have to uh, order individual pieces and kind of put it together. You can make different configurations. The thing is, they give you a price, and I cannot compare it to anything because there is no competition in that store. So, And that is kind of how they do their marketing. They first put you in this mindset like everything is cheap here because we've got so, the, the food is so cheap and you've got these discounted items that cost almost nothing. And that is where, you know, you fill your basket and everything. And then once you get to the expensive stuff, that is where they have, of course, their big profit margin like beds and 
big furniture, kitchens. I bought my kitchen at Ikea's. I have no idea if, I, if it was a good price or not. It was just convenient. I could see it in that store and I was like, oh, I like that. And then they have this service where they will create your kitchen. It, it, it feels like, oh, Ikea, these guys are my friends. My friends, they're helping me to create my kitchen. But of course, they're just cramming in as much Ikea stuff as possible and then they, they bill you for it. So, but you can't compare it. That's how it works. So anyway, all these people in Denmark were at Ikea's when outside a big snowstorm started. And apparently the weather was so bad that people couldn't go back home again. All the, rock, all the roads were blocked with snow and it was cold and it was dangerous on the road. And so the, the head of, of I, that, that particular Ikea store decided to allow the people in the store to stay the night over. And they could just sleep in the beds in the store. <laughs> and you've got all these, these photos of people, actually an older couple, lying in one of these demo beds, you know, nice and cozy. And then in the morning they served the breakfast and in the evening they had soup. And it's just like a, like a, a um, uh, what is it, a pajama party over at Ikea's. And of course people loved it and their marketing department loved it even more. So you see, the, the, uh, it's, it's just one of those great examples where, where uh, you know, reacting quickly to at what seems to be a very, you know, difficult situation and, and, you know, what if people would have tried to get home from Ikea's and they would have get stuck in the snowstorm or people could have gotten into accidents. That would have been very bad publicity, whereas now this is like a massive free advertisement campaign for Ikea's. Now, I did... Uh, applaud the journalists that actually interviewed the people that stayed over and actually said, yeah, it looks nice that we're sleeping in these IKEA beds. But the thing is, in these stores, all the lights are automated. They're run, and run from computers. And nobody there in the store, not, none of the people that work there, were able to shut the lights off. So we've been sleeping there with all these bright lights shining on us. <laughs> We didn't sleep at all. <laughs> so anyway, I sometimes go, you know, I try out the, I, when I got my new mattress, I also uh, slept in, well, I didn't sleep, but I was laying down on one of those beds. And that's another, uh, that's the final warning I'm going to give you. If you ever go to Ikea's and you want to buy it like a couch or a chair or a bed, uh, always realize that you're probably already tired. Because you, you made the journey to Ikea, as you went up the stairs, you were run, running through that maze that they have on the first floor. And, and then you finally get to these chairs or this bed. So, of course, if you sit down, you're like, oh, this is so comfortable. This is so nice. But probably any chair, any bed, any couch would feel super nice and comfortable after, you know, having been walking around for hours. So beware of that. The, the experience at home may not be the same. Anyway, I'm really, really hoping to, to show you the house. Um, we're in the, the final stages. Uh, this upcoming Monday, we're going to do a few more last things, like tiny details. And, and then for the people that follow me on, uh, on Patreon, I'll, I'll probably do like a video tour, like I did way back. You know, this ages ago when I first got to see the, the, the house and I got the keys for the first day. Um, and the difference is, is huge. 
Um, it's a it's a different house actually. Um, I'm not gonna probably not gonna put this online publicly uh, because. Well, because of something I will tell you in the next segment, uh, which I should now begin. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So the movie segment starts with a little story. The other day, this is, uh, when was it? Last Saturday, I think? Yeah, last Saturday. I was hoping to finally go see the new Ghostbusters movie, and I had been looking forward to finding some time. I've been working really hard uh, these past few weeks with the final TV work, uh, lots of meetings, lots of other stuff. The renovation, of course, uh, takes a few days every week. Um, but I carved myself, I, I carved out a little bit of time to go watch the new Ghostbusters movie, and I ordered my ticket, and I was about to step on my bike when I hear this weird sound down the stairs. And I'd already been hearing sounds uh, of, you know, just noise down the stairs, but my rectory is next to um, the parish uh, rooms or the the parish spaces. So there is an adjacent um, room that they use for coffee, and there are always people, you know, sitting there or there could be choir rehearsals and, and whatnot. And there was also actually um, a funeral going on in the church. Um, and I'm not the, uh, a regular pastor here, so I was not uh, involved in that funeral. But I thought, well, maybe they are um, arranging the tables down the stairs in that uh, adjacent room for, you know, to drink some coffee with the volunteers or with the family after the funeral is done. I don't know, uh, because there's been noise uh, there every once in a while. So I really was hearing that noise, but and it was loud. I was like, wow, I, what are they doing downstairs? But then I, when I went down to, to go to my bike to go to the movie theater, I heard that someone was actually trying to get into my main room, the, the living room. There is a door that leads to the, to the garden. And I had the, the curtains were still closed. This is because the, the, the windows uh, in this house have been installed in the 90s of the previous century. Um, and even though it's double glass, it is not very good. It's, um, so there's a lot of cold coming from those windows. So usually during the day, especially on dark days like these, I keep the curtains closed just to save some, some energy. Um, and so I open the curtain in front of the, of the back door and I'm face to face with a burglar. And this guy is just using a screwdriver to try to force the door open. And then he looks up. Apparently, he didn't hear me. And he, 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 he you know, he, he start, he's startled. And he, he sprints away. He runs away. And at that time, I was like, oh, my goodness. What do I do? Where's my phone? And, you know, I'm still not used to this house. So I, I couldn't find my phone. So I ran outside to the front. You know, this the, the church square is... Uh, is my house is is uh, built next to the church, and there are some people standing outside because the funeral is just over, and the, so the casket is being bought, brought outside. A uh, little morbid detail: the funeral was for one of the previous uh, tenants here in the house. So it's a, a a man who has been living here for I think 
15 years, maybe even longer. And I had met him a few weeks ago and he was already ill, but I, nobody expected him to, uh, to die that, that quickly. Uh, so I gave him a tour, showed him what we'd we, we had done with the house and we, we, we talked and I invited him, you know, in springtime to maybe come back and have a, a talk a little bit more. So he died and that, that was his funeral there. And then I, I asked some of the other people to, uh, uh, to call, to call the police and they came of course, but the, the thief was already gone. And, uh, and so that, that was a, that was a little bit of a weird situation. I've never had any burglars ever in my life. So the police was also, well, you know, don't underestimate this. You may actually get some... This, this has, uh, to, for some people, this has a, a quite a bit of an impact. So don't hesitate to, to, uh, to reach out for help. If we can do anything, let us know. Uh, they were super kind. Um, later on, they send a, a detective, or I don't know, it's like an expert in, in traces. And this lady... Uh, uh, took like samples of uh, the markings that uh, were made with that device because then apparently they can tell what what kind of equipment this uh, burglar has used and they can compare it with maybe other burglaries in the in the area. Uh, because actually, it was not the only door. The door that I saw him at was not the only door that he destroyed. In fact, the noise that I heard upstairs was he had almost completely destroyed the other door of the. Uh, the, the near the kitchen, and and, and it was just the, the, the it has a three point lock system, and the he had destroyed the lower two ones and only the upper one he couldn't get through, so that's why he was trying out the second door. So that door has to be completely replaced. Uh, the door in the middle of the living room also will have to be replaced because he, even though he didn't have much time for that, he did destroy the the lower lock. And uh, and then the, when the police was uh, looking around, they also told me the front door is also unsafe. Um, it's a it's a door. The door itself is like a oaken's like a very solid, heavy door, but it is um, in a kind of a plastic frame, which was very popular at the time, uh, low maintenance, etc. But the frame itself is way too weak, so it's. It's uh, it's a, a security risk, and none of the locks in the on the on the um, ground level were um, were approved um, and secure. So all that will have to be replaced. It's a, I thought I was done with this house, and <laughs> I was hope, I was hoping to go and see Ghostbusters, and all of a sudden I become like a burglar buster. Oh man! Thankfully, I was able to sleep. Quite well, I've been looking into some cameras and I know, of course, that they're going to fix the doors and get, I get better locks and, and whatnot. And then the, the most ironic thing of, the, of everything is, you know, what, uh, there is nothing that is of any interest to a thief here. Maybe people told me, but you have equipment. Yes, I, of course I have equipment, but all this equipment is years old. Like the camera I use is three years old. The microphone. I think that Cliff Ravenscraft uh, got me this microphone maybe 10 years ago. Um, the the Rodecaster, it's a device, yeah, sure, you can try to sell it, but it's very niche, so it's hard for a burglar to, to sell this thing. Plus, all the uh, mobile devices are, of course... Uh, protected by 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 uh, passwords, and if you try out too many false passwords, it will completely lock or wipe the device. Plus, the Apple devices have uh, Find My iPhone, 
so the police said most of the time they just don't take mobile phones with them anymore because uh, so, oh, sometimes also uh, phones have this security system where you try to, uh, if, if the owner knows that the device is stolen, it can, it can actually take a, t- a picture of the thief as well. So they don't take any risks. What usually they're looking for is not televisions, it's not electronics, it's just money and, uh, and jewelry. So, according to the police, most of the time they go straight to the bedroom where uh, apparently people keep their money and their... Uh, they, a lot of people have a safe in their bedroom. So, good tip. If you have that, don't put it in your bedroom. Put it in a place where they won't look for it. But certainly not in a bedroom. And then if they can't find any money, they, they may actually quickly try to open some of your drawers and whatnot. So, it may create a mess. But usually they, they want to stay there as as brief as possible because of course the longer they are in a house uh, the more chances are that they will be uh, overrun which is what happened because this guy apparently thought that I was in the church because he had heard the church bells and he knew that there was a funeral and he was, so that's why he did this in the middle of the day but I still haven't seen Ghostbusters because then <laughs> the rest of the week I've been busy arranging stuff and having people here, carpenters and whatnot, to look at the situation and uh, uh, give me a quote. And then I had to negotiate, or negotiate, I had to talk with the people from the parish. How are we going to do this? Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) There's always something. There's always a reason I, I I can't really settle here in this house. However, in the evenings, I normally have some time to to watch movies or to watch TV. Um, so I do have some some uh, movie TV-related things to talk about. First of all, Hawkeye. Hawkeye is the new Marvel series that premiered. It is uh, uh, Christmas-themed, very surprisingly. The, the trailer already kind of hinted at that. Um, and it, I have to say, uh, it, it, apparently it's not very successful. At least it got like 40% less viewers than Loki, for instance. But I'm not surprised because Hawkeye never was, you know, among the more popular members of the Avengers. Um, And for a while, they were planning on giving him a a theatrical movie. He was the only one from the original Avengers who hadn't had his own, you know, solo movie. Uh, Not even Black Widow had to wait for a long time. But then... Uh, when this series was launched, uh, they were actually trying to make us believe that that was on purpose because there's such a there's such a wealth of things that we wanted to do with the character and his backstory is so complex and there was no way that a theatrical release would have done justice to this wonderful character. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> now that is so clearly marketing speak. Just admit it, you didn't want to do a theatrical release because you were worried that nobody would want to watch a movie about Hawkeye. And so apparently a little bit of that, you know, effect uh, also trickled down to the TV show. So it's, it doesn't get the ratings or the, or, or the numbers that they were hoping for. However, despite that, I am having a blast. I really like that series. And if you compare it to, you know, previous superhero tv shows like think of the flash or even supergirl and that sort of stuff this is so much better this is really top-notch marvel quality uh, it's fast-paced yeah every once in a while i'm thinking the special effects look a little bit on the cheaper side but that's obviously because the budget is probably smaller and they have 
not as much time as they usually have with uh, with re- theatrical releases but but it looks really great and i think the story is is great i'm i'm so enjoying this and i like it that they gave it this uh, kind of die hard christmas vibe there is something about this time of the year that uh especially if you if you if they put it in a kind of a new york christmas setting it evokes a lot of the movies that we love uh or, or that i loved um in the past you know all the the well die hard is an example uh home alone all those movies and and i think it's genius that they released it in december and then gave it this this christmasy vibe um and i'm hoping that a lot of people will still discover this over time maybe by word of mu- word of mouth uh, that's always the big risk with tv releases even though we've seen amazing successes with the Game of Thrones and, uh, you know, the Mandalorian and, and, and series like that, it's a bit hit and miss. You never know in advance if a series is going to find its audience or not. So a lot of these bigger platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime are gambling on the success of these franchises. And, and, and often more often than not, it doesn't catch on. And, and great series are just remain undiscovered. It's not that they're not good, but it's just there's so much to see that a lot of people just will think, well, hey, it's on Netflix, so I can watch it in a few months from now. I don't. I'm, I still have a big back catalog. It's like video games, too. A lot of gamers uh, have the same problem. They buy newer games, and then they never get to play them because they have so many other games. And, and, and maybe the game that they want to play is not very popular at the time, and so you want to play games, especially if you're playing online with other people, you want to play games that have a large... Uh, crowd playing the same game because it's more fun if if your friends also play that game. Uh, so that's kind of the the downside of the TV golden era that we're in. There's just so much good stuff that a lot of the excellent work that is done kind of falls by the wayside and gets cancelled way too early. So I'm th- I think what, what Disney is doing with these short series is very smart because if a series doesn't get the success that they hoped for, it's not a big deal. It's it's pretty standalone. If they if they would end Loki, for instance, now let's let's imagine that it hadn't been uh, a success for them, I think it would be perfectly fine. You could still watch it without getting frustrated towards the end, like oh, we never get to see how it ends. No, it's Marvel, so these stories are perpetual. You know, they will continue. They can always come up with new ways to to continue the story. Um, but it's fine if you just watch us a, a slice of that you know bigger adventure uh, of that particular superhero so and i think for star wars the same thing uh we we're gonna get to see the book of boba fett very soon a few trailers have been out by the way i'm not sure about you you know that i'm a huge star wars fan um but i was watching that trailer the boba fett trailer and i was thinking yeah it looks nice but I did not have that, absolutely not that same excitement that I had for The Mandalorian and for all these other trailers that I've, that I've uh, reacted to on, on YouTube. I was like, yeah. And I don't know why. I can't put my, my finger on it. Like, what? why does this not get me more excited? After all, it's Boba Fett. It's Star Wars. And I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the trailer itself that didn't work. Maybe it, it's because of... Um, the actor who who portrays Boba Fett is maybe not the most charismatic actor. I I 
I wasn't a big fan of of uh, his portrayal in the prequels. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, we'll have to wait and see. But even if you know, even if this this Boba Fett series doesn't take off in the way the Mandalorian has, um, and let's not forget it doesn't have Baby Yoda, so <laughs> that is a problem too. Uh, or you know, Grogu. Uh, even if it doesn't work as well as they think, they can still keep it in their catalog and say hey, it's just a one season thing. So we'll just move on and do something that works that where people can relate a little bit more. So. TV series nowadays are also give these bigger platforms ways to experiment without taking too much risk and without you know making these huge expensive commitments for multiple years. Now with uh, other series, for instance, The Witcher, um, it's kind of the same approach. That that series did phenomenally well, especially if you look at the overall production costs, which were kind of more on the modest side, um, but it was a huge success. So, of course, it was going to be a, a second season. Apparently, now they're talking about seven seasons in all, and uh, Henry Cavill has already uh, expressed his willingness to uh, to play The Witcher for all seven seasons. Yeah, of course. What what do you expect? It's a good... It pays well, that job. And, it, you know, he doesn't get to play Superman anytime soon. So, yeah, sure, I, I'd, I'd say the same. Um, and then, of course, you've got the big gamble that Amazon Prime took with a number of big franchises like The Lord of the Rings. That is a series that's the most expensive television series ever produced. They really are hoping that it can be the next Game of Thrones, whatever that may be. I, I, I'm, hmm. I always have to giggle a little bit when I hear them say that because they, they, what they mean is we want the same success as we had with Game of Thrones. We don't want to have a copy of Game of Thrones, but we want to have the eyeballs. We want to have the financial success that that series brought them. Um, and I'm not sure if that always is the best approach. It's not definitely not uh, a guarantee that you will, just by pumping money into something, that that will also give you uh, the audience. It all depends, I think, on the story and on the quality of the makers. Um, so... Uh, they are. They have high hopes for the Lord of the Rings series. The first season is already in post-production right now, which is exciting. However, they're going to only launch that next year, towards the end of next year. So they're, and I am glad for that because it will. It means they will take their time to uh, to make it really, really good. Wheel of Time is the other huge franchise that they have invested uh, in, and. Uh, but it was kind of still lower profile than Lord of the Rings. I think they paid so much more for the Lord of the Rings franchise to get the rights from the for, from the Tolkien estate than they had to pay for um, for the Wheel of Time uh, rights. And uh, the production itself was already uh, was also a bit marred by the COVID crisis, of course. And I I saw some stories about it and I just didn't know what to think. I I expected something along the lines of The Witcher in terms of production quality of production value. And you know, I'm I'm a fan of The Witcher. I really like that series. But I was also enjoying it because it shows that they were maximizing uh their resources. You could you can tell that it is a television budget in a certain way. But they were telling a really good story with it. And and the cast is excellent. The writing is excellent. But you can still tell that it's not it's not like a movie. So I was thinking maybe Wheel of Time will be a bit like that. And it's 
very, very hard to match the expectations of a huge fan base that is just in love with this series and, and is was following all the preparations so, you know, critically. And, and, and they were, of course, also a bit uh, fearful, like, oh, what if this flops? What if, what, what if they mess this up? That we will never get to see Wheel of Time on TV in our lifetime. And I've now watched all episodes. I'm recording this on a Thursday, so tomorrow is going to be episode five already. So we're going to be halfway through the series because there's only, only eight episodes, which is not much. And I know that the uh, director had hoped for 10 or had begged even for more episodes, but no, they only got budget for eight. And so the story is going um, at a breakneck speed, which is not at all like the books. The books are very slow. Um, and, and so that too could have been a hurdle um, in terms of, uh, you know, how, how do you, what do you leave out if you if you have to do everything in so few episodes? But it is amazing. I am so blown away by what they did, and the story has huge uh, re replay or rewatch um, qualities. So I've been watching the first episode multiple times, and I keep watching it. It's so good. There is so much in it. And it's, it's enjoyable also the second time and the third time around. And that is that hardly ever happens with television series. I never went back and rewatched The Mandalorian uh, because, it, you know, it was good for what it was. But this series is, is something different, especially the fourth episode. I was like, oh, this is so much better than the book. <laughs> that's what I think it's so much better than the book it has much better pacing much better dialogue there's much more balance between the various characters um, it's modern storytelling of course the Wheel of Time was written a long time ago and so I think this is a, such a perfect way to bring the story a little bit more up to date in a certain way make it modern in storytelling at the same time it, it preserves and even I think strengthens the themes in the original story. Yes, they do take some creative license and they change some of the characters and some of the story arcs. They leave out, of course, a lot. But I am so impressed by what they were able to do despite the condensed version of the story that they had to tell and, and how good it is and how much of an impact. Like that fourth episode, at the end, I was like, like oh, wait, I should breathe. <laughs> this is so incredibly good. Um, so if you haven't started watching it yet, highly, highly recommend it. And now, let's move over to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their strange traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Christmas and Advent and, and COVID and the implications for Christmas. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So yesterday morning, I got a call from uh, one of my radio colleagues over at um, uh, Dutch Radio, 
Um, and he called me because he wanted to do a story about a press release that uh, he had just received from the bishops, the Dutch bishops of the Netherlands. Well, Dutch end of the Netherlands. <laughs> uh, which, uh, in which they stipulated that um, the church will actually follow the, um, the prescriptions of our local government which has decided that because of the rapid spread, we have a huge new wave of COVID infections. It's never been actually this this bad, even at the beginning. So, and that's worrisome because, you know, more than 80% of the people in my country have been vaccinated. Um, but apparently this, this, you know, less than 20% of people that are, for whatever reason, don't want to be uh, vaccinated. It's, we're t- still talking about more than a million people. And that is apparently just what it takes for this virus to continue to infect people and to spread um, and and also to reinfect some of the people that have been vaccinated. Although, if you look at the actual hospital numbers, people that have been uh, vaccinated and still get reinfected with the virus or get infected despite being vaccinated, um, it's a small percentage of the people in the hospitals and almost none of them end up in serious conditions. Whereas uh, uh, I think like the huge majority of the people that are now in intensive care um, are non-vaccinated people. So um, it, it, vaccines definitely work, but not every, you can't force people to, to get their vaccine. And so uh, that is uh, challenging, of course, our entire country and our economy and, and also the churches. Because especially in, in churches, you have a lot of older people um, that you want to protect even more. Because if they get ill, if my parents, my parents are both older than eighty, if they get COVID, they could be it could be lethal. They could may not be able to survive. I've had COVID, as you as you know, and I was completely floored by it, and it it um, had a huge impact on my health. And I only now a year later, only a year later, I'm finally feeling a little bit like my old self. It took a year. From, from my health, uh, from my life in a certain way. Um, so, and I was super healthy. I, I'm, I'm pretty fit. I run marathons. And despite that, you know, COVID almost completely destroyed me for a year. So anyway, because of the current surge in infections and especially the pressure that that puts on hospitals and on doctors and nurses, our government has now... Uh, stipulated that stores, non-essential stores, so not supermarkets, but all the other stores have to be closed. It's at five, no gatherings after five, no sport events. Um, I've joined a little runner's group. So even there, we, we can still run because it's outside. And uh, of course, it's easy to keep your distance when you're uh, a runner. But we still have to uh, do our training in, in groups of mac- a maximum of four. And then those little groups, we have one trainer and then all these mini groups, they still have to keep their their distance so with a little bit of effort we can we can still continue to uh, to run but all the other sports are uh, are currently forbidden after five and so the bishops came together and they decided well you know what we have to be responsible here and uh we should not allow uh masses or any other types of church gatherings after five o'clock as well because the goal is of course to reduce the number of 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 contacts that people have during the day and if you just take out a number of hours so from five till when do people go to bed that's like from five to ten that's five hours less of chances of people to infect one another so that's that's the thought process and that by itself 
will hopefully be enough to, to, to slow down the pace of the infections. But, of course, that has huge consequences for, for uh, the weekends. A lot of parishes have Saturday evening masses, especially in my country where you have few priests. So a number of parish churches are, are always on Saturday. They don't even have a Sunday mass. Um, but much worse, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, of course, is by definition an evening activity. And so the bishops are well aware that with that, by following kind of the, the prescriptions of the government, they're also, for the second time, canceling Christmas Eve, which is still one of the most popular church activities of the year. Everybody was hoping for a normal Christmas. And I, as I remember how in, during the summertime when infections were very low and we seemed to be at the end of, of the COVID pandemic, at least in the rich countries, um, that we would be able to have a normal Christmas again. And now for the second time, it's, it's, we're back to where we were. So we'll ha- probably have to stream Christmas from, from a few churches and people will have to watch Christmas Mass on TV, which of course is not going to be the same, um, will not have the same impact, will not reach the same amount of people that we normally do if we ha- just were able to open our churches. So that came as a huge shock to many. That is why he called me up and can I interview you? So we, we did a little radio interview about that, in which, of course, he, well, you know me. I'm an optimist. <laughs> I always try to look at the, uh, at the upside of things. So I was like, you know what? Hey, it, last year, we were in the same situation. Back then, we were struggling to make ends meet. We, we had no experience. Now we're a year uh, more, more experienced, so we know how to do this. And we, we can maybe even do it better than last year. And I, I, I was telling uh, the reporter how last year we, we were streaming from the church where uh, next door to where I lived back then and that we had a wonderful mass with a beautiful choir and lots of candles and it had so much atmosphere. I, I, it was one of the most beautiful Christmas masses that I remember. And it was in the middle of COVID and we had hundreds of people from all over the world who joined us either live or afterwards and were also able to experience that Christmas feeling uh, and, and celebrate Christmas liturgically through that video stream. So in a way, for me, that was a huge win. That was a beautiful Christmas, despite the fact that it was so different. So I'm thinking, different is not always bad. It can also challenge you to come up with new ideas and to be creative and to be resourceful. And so I was like, literally during the interview, I was thinking out loud, you know what, I, I would like to, you know, to do something as well, to, to make sure that I can stream Christmas um, and, and make it, I don't know, make people, a lot of people everywhere in the world are currently in lockdowns and difficult situations. Not everyone can go to church. Um, but what if we stream not just Christmas Mass, but what if we create a little bit more around it? Like, uh, for instance, I don't know, maybe I'll just cook a Christmas meal, but I'll just stream from my kitchen and I'll have people uh, cook with me, you know? And of course, I can't really share the food digitally, but it's still fun to hang out in in someone's kitchen. And the reporter said, I would watch that. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to... to uh, to take a look in uh, a priest's kitchen while he's cooking. 
uh, sure, why not? And then and then I was like, oh yeah, you could start with that and do all the meal prep for for Christmas, and then you have mass, and then maybe you you share some time, you eat together virtually in a certain way, or maybe you have a hot cup of chocolate and talk. This is stuff that we cannot do in real life because I cannot have hundreds of people in my kitchen, obviously. But I can do it digitally. And it, so you can also look at the upside that it will maybe help you to reach people that would never come to your church or have just a very consumerist experience, which is unfortunately one of the downsides of Christmas. Is a lot of people are just coming there for, you know, feelings. <laughs> they're not really there for the message. They're certainly not there because of a religious commitment, but they're just there because it's oh, nostalgia and nice songs and hum along. And there's nothing wrong with that, but but it's not ideal either. So uh, one of the uh, things that I think we learned from streaming, and you know, I've been doing this for <laughs> how long now? I've been podcasting for for since since 2005 so for more than 15 years i've had the experience that that even though i am not face to face with you and i'm just you're just hearing me or if you're watching the live stream you're seeing me on youtube um, despite that i do believe that we have a real connection and that that sometimes the engagement uh, is is much bigger because I can talk back. I'm I'm reading the chat now and I can answer the questions or react to suggestions, um, and that's something I I can't do even with all the time in the world. I always go after a mass in real life. I go and stand on the, you know, in the back of the church when it when the weather is bad or even outside if it's dry. And I take as much time as I can to to speak with to talk with people. Oh, for some reason, the lights go out here. <laughs> it gets very dark. Maybe the battery is empty. I'm going to fix that during the next jingle. But anyway, so um, the, uh, uh, the the advantages of the engagement that you have with social media is uh, is a win for me. So try not to... And, and then I got some nasty reactions on social media, as always. Like people, it's a shame. Those bishops should be ashamed of themselves. It's a right to go to church. And I'm thinking... Well, the bishops are just trying to do what they should do as shepherds. They're trying to protect their flock, protect them against this virus, protect people against infecting one another. It is the responsible thing to do. And the fact that you can't go to Christmas Eve Mass is not going to send you straight to hell. On the contrary, you know, it's a little sacrifice for the good of all. And of course, you can always go to church on, on, on uh, Christmas morning. That's just as valid as if you go to Christmas Eve. So I'm always like, please, don't don't fall into the trap of all that negative, you know, harsh language and judging the bishops for what they do. They are in a difficult situation. They're trying to do the responsible thing. Um, let's, let's not be too quick with criticizing other people. Let's just try to work together to help people uh, be safe and to be creative and resourceful to celebrate Christmas, even if we can't do it in the way that we're used to. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, I'm just opening a curtain here. <laughs> it's, it's getting really dark. So I've got the lights here set up for actually for mass so i was getting sick and tired of all the cables that were running through this this room i mean it's a big room but still ah, every device needs its own 
power brick and cables and USB stuff, and it was all over the place. I was getting, and then I, I remembered that these these lights actually run on batteries, but apparently that one has a battery that's either faulty or maybe I forgot to charge it properly, but it, it just all of a sudden went out. And then, of course, this room gets very dark as I, I shut all the curtains um, because uh, I, um, you want to have maximum control over the lights. The downside is I'm now, for the people that are watching this on YouTube, I'm like almost in the dark. Thankfully, I've got this little, little IKEA light here that almost looks like a, a candle. Wait, actually, it's like an oil lamp. I will put that in front of me. And I can actually turn up the, the it's, uh, oh, it's, it's actually already on maximum, but we'll just pretend that this is a little campfire and, and it's lighting me. <laughs> Makes it a, less, a little less dark. Oh, well, this is part of uh, what I've been doing over the past weeks. It's just uh, trying to get my act together when it comes to streaming. And it's much more uh, work than I thought it would be. Just getting this set working, this pod- this is just a podcasting set, that took me days. Uh, and and I actually was able to put this in place after even weeks of experimentation. What is the best setup? How am I going to do this? Especially with the wiring and, and the, all the electronics that are involved. How can I keep it simple? I'm still working on the, on the Lego uh, studio next door here. That's also tricky. It's really... The camera setup. How am I? Do, I, I need another computer there I, because you know you don't want to disconnect everything and then move it to another room and then move it back and forth. And then I have a third room from which I'm streaming, which is the um, the editing room. That's where I work on my TV shows. But I also created a little YouTube set so I can do like these uh, trailer reactions, for instance, um, and I can do that much quicker than than I used to. But well, then you get these surprises of, uh, yeah, oh, wait, if I run these lights from batteries, then maybe I should have a routine to charge them in time. But this is not the tech uh, segment of the show. This is the book segment. And wow, I'm on a race against the clock. I'm currently actually trying to win the challenge that I set myself at the beginning of this year, last year, for the first time ever. I did a good reads challenge and I, I vowed to read 24 books, I think, something like that, 24, 25 books. And, and it was exhilarating to actually read that many books uh, in a year. And so, encouraged by the success of that and also how much I enjoyed reading again uh, as a child, I, I, I was reading so many books and then I, life got too busy or I made myself too busy. I didn't allow myself time to read. Um, but this reading challenge helped me to do that. And so I was so encouraged that for this year, I was like, I'm going to read a book every week. That should be feasible. And it, I, as long as I have this routine of taking an hour between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m., that's when I'm going to read books. I'm going to be fine. I can totally read. I, that means I, I, I can read about 100 pages per hour. I'm a fast reader. Um, so I could, you know, in theory, I could even read um, one of the Wheel of Time books every week. I would be done by the end of this year. Well, that is true if you're not moving, <laughs> if you're not renovating a house, if your life is not completely turned upside down by COVID and long COVID and everything else that happened this year. This has been one of the most hectic years of my life. And so I ended up with a challenge that was only halfway in the last month of the year. So I still have to read 24 books 
And the end of the year is going to be 29 days. I asked Google this morning, you know, how many days until, until New Year's Eve? And it's like 29 days. Oh, my goodness. That means that I have to read one book per day. You'd say, that's impossible. I say, yeah, I'm going to do this. That is the challenge that I need. And so I am determined to read a book every single day day and i'm not cheating with like super short books of like 15 pages or something like that no real books it means 100 page, 100 plus pages um then that's of course still a, a short book but i'm kind of i'm more interested in what kind of books i read than um than the number of pages if i love a book i can read really really fast like currently i'm reading uh, uh project hill mary from andy weir the writer of the martian and it, I wasn't a fan of the previous book, which I did a review uh, of in, in this podcast. Maybe if you uh, Google uh, or you look at, on the website, fatheroderick.com, you may, you may be able to, to, uh, to find that review. I really don't remember which episode it was. Um, but I wasn't very impressed. I felt a little bit forced. Um, this book, The Hill Mary Project, so far is amazing. It's really, it's got the vibe of The Martian, and um, it's super enjoyable. It's about 350 pages, I think, but I'm, I'm reading, I've been reading 20%. The other day I was starting, but I, it was a day on which I was very tired. I didn't sleep much. I have this, um, one of the radiators in my bedroom is making this ticking noise, and I think it's because the pipes are running through holes in the wall that uh, one of the... Um, People that have been doing the renovation, they they used a kit to to close the gap around the pipes, and so when the pipes are getting hot, they start to expand, obviously, but they can't because they're trapped in those holes, and so that's making this ticking noise, and it's waking me up all the time during the night, and so I had one of those very bad nights. I was super tired, and so I tried to read it, and I just fell asleep while reading, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. That's the only downside of reading book book books in a chair. It's you put your body in a super, you know, relaxed mode, and and so I fall asleep. Uh, most of the books I I listen to them when I'm running. It's very hard to fall asleep while you're running, but because I've finished my marathon, I don't have these long runs anymore because I'm still in recovery in recovery mode. So. Um, so I do have to, uh, to put a great effort into finishing these books. But it was really, uh, it was a good week. I, I did manage to read uh, one book uh, per day. If you follow me on Goodreads, by the way, you can also read my reviews. I force myself to write short reviews. And for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's more than just wanting to share my opinion. It's also tr uh, training myself to express my opinion, even if it's not what other people think. I've been brought up uh, in, a, in a sense that you would, you, you would always think twice before you would say something that could maybe irritate other people. It's a, maybe a Chinese trait of my education. And so I've always been a bit holding back. Uh, and and uh, the, another downside... <laughs> I like a lot of things, so I'm not usually very disappointed in things that I read or, or, or movies that I watch. 
But but with these books, I, I'm forcing myself to write a short review because then not only do I have to voice my opinion, but it also forces me to think about why I was disappointed in a book or why I loved it and, and give some reasons. And so it helps me also to process the contents of the book. So I wrote a scathing review <laughs> of a book that was pretty popular uh, about 10 years ago. I think it's called uh, Things... The... 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 Dot, 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 my dad says. And uh, it's about this uh, um, guy who, who moves in with his parents when he's 24 or something like that after a broken relationship. And then uh, his father is apparently just says anything that comes to his mind and is using lots of expl expletives in the way he says them. It's all very out there. And so he started tweeting the stuff that his, his dad says. And that Twitter account got massively popular he got on all sorts of uh, late-night talk shows, and then he wrote a book based on all those tweets. And everywhere on Goodreads, like four or five stars, people are, it's so hilarious. And I was reading that, hoping to have a good time, because I like humorous books. I've read especially a number of autobiographies that are very, very funny. Um, and I was reading this book, and I was like, oh my goodness, I just can't believe the bad language. and It's so vulgar and so unnecessary. And so... I was like, uh, this morning I finished a book, and I was like, ugh, no. I'm, I'm just going to give this two stars. It's the lowest rating I've given any book on my reading list. But then I was like, but the majority of the people that have read this book do like it and love it. So I had to formulate why I think that this book didn't work for me. And it's not just because I'm a priest and there's bad language. I would say I'm a European, so we're actually much less prude when it comes to language than, than most of my American friends. I'm not sure if that's a quality, but it's a fact. We, we're much used, much more used to expletives and 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 kind of like swear swear words uh, here in Europe. Uh, we don't raise an eyebrow when someone uses, uh, let's say, the shorter words in our vocabulary. But in the United States, it's like, oh, you said the X Y Z word, and like there's almost this taboo on certain words. And, and so maybe it's the shock value of the book that, that, that people found it hilarious because this guy just dares to speak his mind and use words that we don't dare to use. What are other people going to think? I was just like, golly, just stop it, man. Just can you say, can you not use those words? It's, it's annoying. It's not funny at all. There's no shock value in it. It's just dumb. I just didn't like it. But anyway, uh, if you go through my reviews, you will see that there are books that I love and there are books that I'm like, huh, no. And, and there's a bit of everything. I was just looking at my list the other day. I was like, it's, this is so eclectic. It's so much me. I am like, just like in the kitchen, I eat everything. I try out so many different recipes. It is crazy. There is no theme in my life. Look at this YouTube channel. What is the theme of this YouTube channel? There is no theme. It's me. It's this just this explosion of interests and uh this podcast what is it about i cannot explain it after 15 years i don't know it's just this podcast is me and so it's all over the place uh if you don't like that there are other podcasts that you can spend your time on anyway so um here's my pledge i'm gonna make the end of my challenge 24 books to read 29 days to go a scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. I recently was studying the science of dreams. 
that was so fascinating. It's a book uh, that that reminded me a bit of another book that I, uh, another scientific book that I really appreciated reading, and that's uh, Why We Sleep. You heard me talk about that book uh, uh, at length in previous episodes. So this book was called Why We Dream, and it it said on the cover that it would be like a s- neuroscientific approach to dreams and why we dream and like the re- latest research. Uh, so I had high hopes. I thought it would really be like why we sleep, which gave me so much insight in my own sleeping patterns and behavior and how to improve things. But this was much more focused on on dreams and especially on a fascination of the author. Uh, she, she talks a lot about lucid dreaming and about techniques on how to... Um, how to make that happen. Lucid dreaming basically is something where people are become aware while they are dreaming that they are dreaming. And because they have this awareness, they're kind of awake in a dream, a bit like uh, Inception. You remember that movie? That's kind of, f- for, for fans of lucid dreaming, that is a huge movie because it, it, it's what they're trying to achieve, to be awake, but at the same time, they don't have the inhibitions that real life has on them, so they can basically steer their dreams. Um, so the book uh, has some scientific stuff in it, which is interesting, and it made me think about the function of dreams. I'm a big dreamer. I dream a lot. I'll we'll get to that later. But, um, uh, but, but it also has a number of chapters where she just goes to meet all these other lucid dreamers on kind of vague esoteric conventions, and it just goes on and on and on. There's no critical approach to to the conversations that she has and it's such a letdown it's like come on you could probably condense this book down to a third of its length and and if you just keep the science it would be a very very uh big recommend of me but with all the kind of the wonky stuff in it i was like yeah i don't know sure i read it because i'm fascinated by the topic because i i dream a lot literally it's one of the things that my friends father henry father michelle father harry always tell me after uh our summer vacation like you dream all the time and it's true like every morning i have something to tell them like ah the other night i had this crazy dream and then i i tell them the dream and they're like what really Uh, father henry is like i never dream and then, or uh, maybe I dream, but it's really not interesting. And you have all these like big movie kind of dreams where it's like super exciting and the weirdest things happen. And then I noticed like, when when I was reading this book, it's like you know what, this is interesting. One of the one of the scientific aspects uh, that the book uh, uh, underscores, and that was new to me, is is kind of the 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 importance of dreams. So apparently, if you prevent rats from dreaming, that is going to kill them in the long run. Um, so dreaming is not just something weird that your mind does. No, it's a very important function uh, of, of your brain to process what happens and also to prepare you for what's coming. And that, if you, if you look at dreams from that more therapeutic uh, angle, it kind of makes sense that we dream. If we are um, dreading something that's going to happen, may happen in the future, if you dream in advance, you know, about a worst-case scenario, then then that helps you get ready for maybe what will happen in real life. And, and sometimes, maybe the fact that we often have these weird dreams um, where you, you can wonder, you know, is, is why the symbolism? Because oftentimes, the things in it you dream are not literal. 
but they are like symbolic representations of, of what you're preoccupied with, maybe it's also a way in which our brain is trying to kind of trick us into processing stuff that we normally wouldn't want to deal with, even in our dreams. Also, it's very critical, the book is very critical towards all the dream theories of Freud, Sigmund Freud, and uh, and his uh, pupils and Jung and all that stuff, because it's so outdated and it is, it's not scientific. That was a very interesting read. Um, so a lot of the early dream researchers had just hunches, but they didn't have even the, the scientific uh, capability to verify their claims and their theories. So modern dream research is much more, it's like one of the disciplines of, of, of psychology. Um, it's, it's more rigorous and I think more careful in, in when it comes to interpreting dreams. One of the things that was interesting and, 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 and a takeaway from the book was that she uh, encourages the people that want to uh, investigate their dreams a little bit more and, and try to understand themselves through their dreams to keep a dreaming journal. And she explains also how that neurologically works. You know, uh, it's very hard to remember your dreams if you if there is time between the dream and you actually getting up. And the more you distract yourself, for instance, like if you hit the snooze button, that time that you're no longer dreaming, you're in this light sleep, that will actually erase the dream because part of the brain is non-functional. And for a good reason, you don't want to have all these inhibitions in your dreams because dreams are meant to actually help you through experiences that normally in day-to-day -day life you would block because they're too scary, too, I don't know, hurtful maybe. And so dreams kind of uh, are, are, are usually not... Uh, meant to be recorded or, you know, they, do, they don't go into your long-term memory. However, you can actually, if you wake up right after a dream and, and, and the moment you wake up and you remember the dream vividly, and that can just be a matter of seconds, you know, if you then record your dream, that is where you get a lot of insight in what's actually going on in your subconscious mind. And so I've been trying to do that the other week and it's it's been pretty amazing. So I've noticed, like this morning, I woke up and I vividly remember that I dreamt something. And I was like, okay, I need to write this down. And so I take my, but then I'm thinking, I'm so tired. You know what? I uh, Just a few more minutes. And I noticed that my dream was starting to fade already. I, I was aware in a certain way. I was not aware in the dream, but I was aware while sleeping that, Oh, wait a minute. I'm starting to lose my dream. So I forced myself to grab my uh, my iPad. And in um, uh, I'm using uh, day one, which is my, my journaling app. Um, I created a special category for dreams. For It's my dream journal. This actually may be the last straw for me or the last push to get a subscription to day one because uh, I have the free version, which only works on this iPad. And the iPad is a bit of a heavy device. It's a 12.9-inch iPad with a keyboard cover. So it weighs more than a kilo. It's very heavy. And it's not the most, not the easiest device to operate when you just wake up. So, you know, I'm thinking, what if I can have uh, day one on multiple devices and I could just pick up my phone and do like a short voice recorder recording, which actually would be much better than trying to type like sitting half right 
half upright in my bed. But anyway, the fact that I've been, like the moment I remember the dream, and this morning I had to really force, like, it's on the tip of my tongue. What did I dream? What did I dream? And all of a sudden I was like, ah, I remember what I dreamt. So this is what I wrote in my dream journal this morning. I dreamt that I was working with the broadcasting company that I work for on a project for next year. I needed people to help light a situation that I wanted to film. So it's all about the lighting. Of course, I'm busy with light lighting here in, in, the, in my studio as well. Um, I was assigned a group of young people who had been working on the website of the broadcasting company before. They had no experience in with lighting, but they wanted to help. Of course, that's probably because of this young journalist that interviewed me yesterday. And I was like, wow, this guy is like 24. I'm... I'm twice his age. <laughs> That's such a weird, some weird moments where you feel so old. Uh, but I was also very impressed by, uh, by, by just the quality of his, his work. So here I was very surprised at their ability to make a, a plan for the lights uh, because they had no previous uh, experience. And then it was followed but with lots of negotiations with the broadcasting company. They didn't want to pay for the lights. And there was a lot... Of course, this reflects all the negotiations that I've had over the past few weeks uh, where, you know, yeah, I'm not going to make my TV show anymore. They do want to keep me involved. and But the, it's all up in the air. They have no idea what that... How... The, you know, what I can do next year. So I'll probably have to come up with ideas as well. And so it's this whole negotiation that enters my dream here. So it's probably something that I'm very preoccupied with. Like, what should I do? I'm, I'm just like my dreams. In my dreams, I'm rehearsing the options. I'm rehearsing the, the, the situation to come. And so, uh, and then the, the group of young people, they, they were, I think I was trying to light the church here next door for, for the, for the streams and they told me that they would make a plan and they would come back in a week or so and, and show me. I don't even remember writing this down. So, and then the, so the first question in my dream journal is, what did you dream about? Describe the dream. Then how did, it, did you feel during the dream? And here I felt, I remember that I felt very helpless to negotiate a real project. Um, and in, in a way I was cheering myself up, like, look, I get the help from all these young people. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but this is these, 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 these people have no experience. You know, it's not, I, I deserve better than just to get a, people, a group of non-experienced people to help me kind of in their spare time. This is not serious. I felt a little bit on the wayside. Um, then the next question is, what, did you, what do you think triggered the dream? I just explained why I think this dream was triggered. And then what do you think the dream means? So there's a trigger, and then it's meaning. I think it's my anxiety for my work the next year. Uh, fear to be without a budget, uh, without concrete plans, without people that can help. Uh, getting leftover crumbs in, in, instead of a real contract. Uh, that's my fear. And in my dream, I'm kind of preparing myself for this situation. And then the last question is, of course, kind of uh, could lead potentially to you having more influence on your dreams. The question is, how could you have influenced the story of the dream? So what if you were actually lucid, aware that you were dreaming? How could you have impacted the events in that dream? That is also problem-solving, a problem-solving question, which, you know, apparently this is something that you're struggling with. 
what can you do about it? And so I wrote down, I could have stepped in with a plan. I could have negotiated harder. I could have uh, walked away and refused to work without a proper budget, uh, etc. So I could have been much more assertive, which I wasn't in my dream. I was just like, um, yeah, thank you, but uh, I don't dare to say it, but I, 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 I really hope for something better than this situation. So anyway... I've been writing down three or four dreams now, and now that I'm reading them back, they're much less impactful as when I dreamt them. But it is, it's a fascinating process, and I'm definitely going to continue this, this dream journal. I just have to kind of make it easier. Um, and so I'm thinking of creating, uh, in one way or another, like a, I need to have an app where I can just push one button on a, uh, maybe even on the lock screen, and just do a voice recording. So just the, the steps of, uh, unlocking my iPad, launching the app, and I still, you know, I, I'm sleepy, so I launch OneNote, and I'm thinking, ah, not OneNote, uh, day one. So my mind apparently gets confused with the the, the, the words, day one, OneNote, sounds the same. Uh, but then those steps are already part of the erasing, uh, they help erase the dream, the memory of the dream. So I need something that is like super fast. Maybe I should just put the, the H2 Zoom recorder next to my bed and just uh, record that and, and then put it in a podcast feed. <laughs> we are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well... All your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So uh, I was almost tempted during um, the Black Friday sales to get um, to get another um, reader, uh, e-reader. So I've been using the the Kindle Paperwhite, which is my second Kindle. So I had the the, the earliest one. I bought it in the United States during one of the CNMCs, which was a, a media conference that we organized more than 10 years ago. Um, and Amazon was not in the Netherlands. So the only place where you could get an Amazon Kindle was, well, while I was in the United States. I remember buying one of those early paper whites, or they weren't even called paper whites, it's just Kindle. No no backlight or anything. So I used that for a couple of years, then I, I switched to the paper white uh, because it's affordable, it's cheap. But um, uh, now that I get older and I, I have trouble with small screens, it's just, of course, I can make the letters bigger, but that also makes for a worse reading situation because you have to t turn the pages so often. So uh, I was talking with John Domic the other, the other day and he showed me his, um, his Kindle, the slightly larger Kindle with the, the physical buttons on the side, which also has a slightly bigger screen. So that looked nice. These are usually quite expensive. So it was discounted uh, during uh, the, the Black Friday sales. So I was like, should I get one of those? And then I'm thinking, no. One of the devices I like to read on the most is actually my iPad 12.9. Because of the screen size, it makes it easy, much easier for me to read, to have a reading experience that is like reading a real book. I could just, it, it, there's a lot of text per page, it's clear, and I don't have to turn a page every second, especially if you're a fast reader, having to like constantly click the screen to, to turn a page, it's, ah, so annoying. Um, 
But the downside of the iPad 12.9 is how heavy it is because I use it also basically as my laptop or like a secondary laptop. So I keep the keyboard case on. It's a Logitech keyboard case and it just the entire thing is super heavy. And so normally I don't mind because I always put it in a laptop position. Um, but for reading, it's it's uncomfortable. And even though I can use a like a pillow, for instance, to prop it up a little bit, after a while it gets really uh, heavy. And so I'm looking into getting an, an e-reader with a bigger screen, and those are pretty rare. Um, but I found one that actually looks interesting. It's the Kobo Ellipsa. Kobo is a Canadian brand, and they are very popular and very good at also at creating e-readers. Um, it's not linked to um, the Kindle, uh, what is it, uh, the, the, kind, the Kindle world, so you can't really read your Kindle books on it uh, because it's a closed DRM-regulated system. They do have their own Kobo store, but you can also read EPUBs. Plus, there are also um, uh, apps that you can use to strip the Kindle books from its DRM, so I'm thinking I could probably also just get the, the books that I have on my Kindle and port them through USB to my computer and then uh, uh, transfer them to a uh, format that, that the Kobo can read. So, um, and, and what is uh, interesting about the Kobo Ellipsa, that's the name of the, of the I think it's a 10.9 inch screen. You can also write on it. Of course, it's not as fast as a, and versatile as a, uh, a, um, a an iPad or a tablet, but it does a decent job, and I'm thinking, you know, that is actually something I could I could see the usefulness of that. If, if I, le- I read also a lot of nonfiction, and oftentimes I was like, oh, I should underline this, I should rem- remember this, um, but I don't have the discipline to just. Uh, you can do that on a Kindle. You select text, and then, but it's slow and it's cumbersome, and on a little screen like that, it's a hassle. So I never do that. But uh, but if I can just scribble on a book. And, and I can keep those notes. Yeah, that's how I studied all my life. Um, so, and I know that that interacting with the written text, I would never do that in a real book because I'm, I don't know, I have too much respect for physical pages. But in a digital book, I wouldn't mind just scribbling and, and, and uh, underscoring um, texts. I think it could, uh, could help with processing the books that I read so but uh, it, it, it didn't get discounted at all and it's a pretty expensive device like 399 euros so yeah maybe if I can find a good discount one of these months I'll switch over but uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very happy that there is an e-reader with a bigger screen that is a ton lighter I think it's like 380 grams uh, that's that's only a third of the of the weight of an iPad so yeah I'll, uh, I'll let you know what I do. And with that, I think it's high time to wrap things up. This has been a long show, but there's just so much I wanted to share with you. I hope you don't mind. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today for my podcast, my um, Patreon fans. Uh, I've got another episode of Father Roderick to the Max coming up soon, in which I will talk about uh, running in the rain, about beetroot stew. Yeah, sounds awful, but it's actually quite tasty. I'll uh, let you know what I learned this week on TikTok and on other platforms. We'll talk about baptisms and mass, superheroes, and I will give you a review of a a nice game, a Japanese game that I've been playing uh, the other day called Craftopia. It's kind of a mix between a crafting game and a survival game. It's a lot of fun. 
So, and of course, I'll give you my uh, usual weekly overview of what's happening in my professional life and about the projects that are in the pipeline also for you, my audience. For uh, that and more, go to patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.